0: Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. The human heart is prone to fall back into forms of religion. And let me define that word religion for you very quickly because we're going to talk about it frequently today. Religion is the day-to-day practical form of how we follow what it is we believe. Religion is the day-to-day practical outworking of the things we believe. right? And so we are prone to fall back into forms of religion that actually divert our focus from the most significant source of strength you and I need, Jesus. Our hearts are prone to fall back into other forms of religiosity, of making ourselves feel we're moral, we're good, we're strong. And in doing so, we actually are diverting our focus from the source of strength that the Bible calls us to time and time again, Jesus. See, we're often inclined to look for something in the touchable world that can serve to replace him. Maybe that's even why you're sitting here today. You think by you walking into this place, God is going to love you more. This is what I mean by that religious form that sometimes we lean into or we practice sometimes. And it's interesting that as we begin to close the book of Hebrews, that what we see throughout the whole book is being reminded us the whole time. And he's saying here, don't forget about Jesus. The one who's better than the law. The one who's better than Moses. The one who's better than the sacrifices. The one who's better than the Levitical priesthood. And he's closing and the end of his book, and he wants to remind us one more time, don't think after this book about Jesus that you go back into your religious form and forget Jesus. Don't forget Jesus, for he is the only source of strength to obey and to endure Another big thing I want you to understand today is that you have a wandering heart. You do. Part of the fallen nature of our hearts is that we wander, our gazes divert to and fro from where they should be. And so today, God's word is going to challenge us to keep our gaze fixed on Christ. We're always looking for strength, yes. We're always looking for spiritual vitality to endure, but the only place the scriptures say you can find it is in Jesus. So this text kind of breaks itself into three sections. If you look there with me, verses seven through eight, the first thing we're going to see is that that Jesus is the single source for the strength we need. So, listen to him and those who preach him. Look there again with me in verses one, excuse me, seven through eight. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. These leaders mentioned here are probably leaders who have already gone on, are probably more than likely dead at this point. He's calling them to to think back to those leaders that they once had, maybe even referencing the apostolic authority and those early church leaders. Regardless, these leaders are no longer among them. And he calls them to do two specific things, right? In this remembrance. What are they to remember? They're to remember the things that they were taught. What were they taught? The word of God from these men. But also, look what he says there consider the outcome of their way of life. He says two things, right? Many of us have pastors that we've grown up with that are no longer here. Many of us had people who have taught us the words of God who are no longer here. And one of the things as a Christian, we don't move on from that in a sense. We remember our leaders who are faithful in God's Word and we praise God for that. And we remember not only that, but their outcome of life, their direction. We're actually called to imitate their faith. And this is not something unique to the Scriptures. I mean, Paul says this, right? He says, as I follow Christ, follow who? Me, he says. And so this is an interesting section here. Remember, he's just got done exhorting us how to brotherly love, how to care for each other, right? Inviting in and going out. We saw that last week. And here he's saying, but also don't forget, don't forget those leaders who have gone before you. And he's building an argument, right? Because it kind of seems like verse eight drops out of the middle of nowhere. He's like, remember your leaders. Consider their way of life and and imitate their faith. Oh, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Like it just kind of drops this truth kind of in the section here. But what he's reminding them of is something of vast importance. These leaders are presumably following Christ. These leaders are presumably preaching Christ and exemplifying his atoning work as portrayed for us in the book of Hebrews. One of the things he says is that this same Christ who they preached, whom they followed, he's the same yesterday today, and tomorrow. He's the same. Why is this so significant that he's the same? What does it mean that he's the same? Well, this refers to the unchangeableness of Jesus. Right? The fancy word is his immutability, right? Theological words are really good, only if you understand what they mean, right? But immutability is the fact that God does not change. Jesus does not change. He's always been and he will always be. Do you find it unique, though, that Jesus never changed? I mean, think about that for a moment. We live in a constantly changing world, right? Fashion change, they change. Political leaders, they change. Geographic and geopolitical ideologies are constantly changing all around us. Our world is continually changing, but if we're honest, our loves are constantly changing too. I love broccoli now. I didn't used to. Our loves are changing. Our desires are constantly waning from this food to that food, from this music to that music, from this to that. You see, our hearts are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Prone to go to what satisfies us in this season. But what if I told you? What if I told you, friends? What if I told you, beloved, that there is actually an anchor for your soul in the midst of a changing What if I told you there was actually something so steadfast, so concrete, so unchanging, that it actually becomes the very anchor of everything you do? And that's what the author of Hebrews is dropping this truth of Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever into this text. He's reminding us that God is not bound by culture. And God does not change with culture. It's an interesting fact that you think about. Sometimes I think we have to like feel like we have to doll up Jesus or we have to strengthen Jesus up or we have to do something so that people hear who Jesus is. Like we've got to make him fit what the the culture wants. But he's saying, no, this isn't what we do. We just proclaim Jesus as the Bible reveals him to be. We just proclaim Jesus because he's not bound by culture, he remains steadfast. He's not tied to a trend or a fad. He remains unchangeable. He neither grows nor decreases in his ability based on your loves. He's immutable. He's unchanging. I don't know about you, but that's soothing to my weary soul. That's soothing that I don't have to chase after things because that who captivates my heart is unchanging. Constant, good, faithful. When you read a text like this, as you're... As you're reading scripture, because you remember, hopefully this isn't the only time we have God's word open. But maybe this week, as you go back through and you're, you're thinking on this idea of what verse eight says, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, you begin to think about things like we've learned in Hebrews chapter two, that he was made like us in every way so that he understands us. Do you realize tomorrow it could be the worst day of your life, but Jesus still understands you because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It could be the best day of your life, but Jesus is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he was made like us in every way, so he understands us. But it also says in Hebrews chapter 4 that he's our sympathetic high priest that we run to, that we draw near to his throne of grace. Like, do you ever have that day where you just feel so dirty, so unclean, so unable that you want to come into the presence of a holy God? You're so afraid that if you offer a word of prayer, He's going to strike you down in that moment. This text is reminding you. He says, no, the same Jesus that, that purchased you and died and atoned for your sins is the same Jesus you pray to today, tomorrow, and every day. We change. He does not. Therefore, we can continue to come before our sympathetic high priest. Or maybe you begin to think of what Hebrews chapter 10 taught us. That he is the one time, all sufficient sacrifice for sin. And if you're like me, there's constantly, there's constantly times in my life where I want to say, Well, God, look out, look at what I did, God. Aren't you pleased with me? Oh God, look what I did. Man, that was a good sermon, wasn't it, God? Josh, you're a go-getter. And this text reminds me that, that I just have to be faithful to his word and proclaim Jesus because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't have to offer up words so that God loves me or deeds so that God loves me. He loves me because of Jesus. And it's always and ever Jesus. One day your circumstances might change. Pastor David and I might no longer be here. Or you may move to another city, wherever the Lord is moving your family. But you know what? Jesus is the same Jesus in this pulpit as he is in Albany or New York or in India. I don't have to preach a different Jesus. You don't have to go looking for the new fad Jesus in that town. You just need to go look for where Christ is proclaimed in accordance with his word. Just because you move or leave the country or leave to plant churches or die, it doesn't mean... That you're any less safe in the cares of Jesus. Because our primary goal is not to make you look like us, but so that we all look like Jesus. See, Christianity is so much bigger than just Moultrie. Christianity and Christ is so much bigger than just this moment right now. He is transcendent and he's unchanging, he's big, he's vast. This is the amazing God that we see described for us in Scripture. Christ is in every nook and cranny of our lives. And anything else is actually garbage. If you think about it, that's what Paul says, right? Because I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, I'm a, a Pharisee of all Pharisees, but I consider all this rubbish if I can just know Christ. Love him, brothers and sisters. Delight all your days in him, for he is Unchanging. And all of this matters because of what he does in the next verse. Look now at verse 9. As we see this truth, because Jesus never changes, don't be swayed by other forms of practicing your faith. Because Jesus never changes, do not be swayed by other forms of practicing out your faith. Look at verse 9 now. It says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those who were devoted to them. It seems like a strange transition. He goes from, remember your leaders. Jesus is the same yesterday. Don't follow things that talk about eating foods to get strength. But we have to remember the flow. He's speaking to a a Hebrew people who are feeling drawn back into the old covenant practices, the sacrificial systems, the Old Testament law. And what he's saying here, he says, if God never changes, and you remember those men who preached Christ and walked with Christ, imitate their faith, and don't think now because something's changed, you have to change what it is you look for your strength in. But interesting enough here too, if God never changes, why did the Old Testament, did, did it change? Why, why is he saying like, new covenants that have, if God never changes, why do we have an old covenant and a new covenant? What? What's the language? Why is he doing this for? And that's a great question, right? And it may seem a little complicated, but hopefully as we dig into this section, you're going to see what the author's argument is here. And here's his primary argument. Where do you run for daily strength? Your religious forms or Jesus? Where do you run for your daily strength? Your religious forms or Jesus? And I think primarily the author of Hebrews, when speaking of this food here that he mentions in verse nine, look there again with me. He says, "Do not be led away by strange and diverse teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not not by foods." This food he's referring to probably is what he mentioned in Hebrews chapter nine, verses nine and ten. I'll read them for you. Here is what he says: "This is according to the arrangement and gifts and sacrifices offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper." Speaking of the Old Testament. In the sacrificial system, but deal only with food and drink and various washings and regulations that for the body imposed until this time of reformation. He says these things were in the Old Testament because they were preparing God's people and preparing the story of redemption for a key climactic moment. Jesus. Which is what he's been saying, right? Church, as we've been reading the book of Hebrews, it's constantly saying Jesus is greater than. Jesus is better than. The temple and the sacrifices. sacrificial sacrifices. He's better than all these things. And primarily what he's doing here is he's speaking, don't go back into those old things. Don't go back into this form of religion that was only a shadow, a shell, pointing to something Beautiful. And we need to understand the overarching call of this section is be strengthened, church. But be strengthened by grace, not by your religiosity. Look, look there again, back at the text. I mean, we see this very clearly. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened. And I love this word strengthened here. This word implies that it's not a once for all belief in Jesus. Like I believe in Jesus so that I can go about my day. No, it says you need daily strength to hold on to Jesus. You need daily faith and belief to walk about in this world of sin and heartache, suffering and pain. This word, it carries both the idea of established in Christ, but also the continuing strength necessary to endure. When I moved into Moultrie, one of the, we loved our house. and One of the reasons I loved our house is because we have this, we have this beautiful white fence. Around in the backyard, right? It, it's just, it was pristine. It was really nice looking. It was very pretty. It had been established with these big things that they drove into the ground, right? You remember that old thing, post hole diggers? You'd, and they would put it in, and it was established. But if you look at my fence now, 10 years later, it's falling apart. It's leaning a little bit in some of the spots. So, I mean, it was good, it was established, but it hasn't been strengthened to endure the seasons and tests of our world you know we're just like that if we think the only way we can make it to heaven is to have a one time i believed in jesus i i pray to prayer I, I believe for that moment and then you can go through your life and you're going to be you're going to be you will not make it to the end sin evil oppression persecution hardships pain they need Someone who is daily coming to the strength that only grace provides, not foods, not religious practices. But praise God, he says, I am that very kind of God. I don't just establish you. He says, I strengthen you every day. I strengthen you every day. I give you the grace necessary to follow me. So our hearts, right, The source of our strength is what? Grace. And again, grace is this interesting word in Scripture. You know, typically when we think of grace, we we think of a plethora of things. Grace is, yes, the favor of God. It is that God no longer calls me an enemy, but he invites me to his table as his son, co-heirs with Christ. It is the favor of God, absolutely. It is the fact that he has poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ. But it is also this, Grace is the spiritual vitality for you to live for him every day. If you don't live by grace, you live by self. That will only crush those around you. Grace is a changing not only of my position with God, but it's an empowering of my spiritual strength to walk in his ways and to endure. Yet here we are again, seeing that grace is, Is what we need every moment of every day. It's why one of my favorite songs we sing is grace alone. I run this race by grace and grace alone. I fight my sin by grace and grace alone. I will reach the end, how? By grace and grace alone. Does it make sense why we sing that now? Because he's reminding us in Hebrews, you will only endure and make it to the end by grace It is good for us to come to God by faith, clinging to Christ, clinging to the promises found in Christ. And the author is telling believers that the food and the rituals of the old covenant, they next year actually never provided grace in this moment for them. Look how he says that. Verse 9. It says, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which actually never benefited those devoted to them. Ooh. I'm not going to completely un- untangle that one for us. I'd rather you think on it for a second. I'd love to answer that question later on. Because one of the things I think Hebrews is reminding us of is we have to ask this question How were the Old Testament people saved? By faith, but did they ever change? Questions like this is we have to let the word kind of shape our hearts and minds and think. And here, the clear statement is that this never benefited those who were actually devoted to it. Now, whether we speak into the people in this moment or to the people back then, well, we have to think, engage with God's word. The author is reminding us that we need strength. You need strength. How many of you can sit here right now and say, yep, you're absolutely right, Pastor Josh. I need strength for today. The question is, where are you going to? Where are you finding that strength? Teenager, trying to find the strength to grow in your gospel witness, where are you going? Well, I gotta learn the new best technique. Those are profitable. There's nothing wrong with learning, you know, ways to communicate the gospel with those around you. But where are you finding the strength? Where do you go, moms, when you find your patience and hope are piled up to your neck? With laundry, work, and the details of life, where are you going for strength to make it through every day, mom? Young adult, when you love that significant other one and you you're, want to demonstrate the beauty of the restoration of Jesus Christ by keeping the marriage bed undefiled, how are you finding strength not to just give in, but wait till that marriage day? Where are you finding that strength? And you feel anxiety. It's just such a high, and all you want to do is isolate yourself. Where are you finding strength, brother? You want to give in to that sin. Worse yet, you do give in, and that guilty heart just begins to press you down. and You know you need cleansing. Where are you going? Every one of us is in a constant need of both being established and strengthened. And the question this test is, this text is answering is, where are you going for strength? Well, look what he says with me in verse ten as we continue to think about the fact that Jesus is the only source of strength. Verse ten, God's word says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Man. This comparison he, he's drawing here is from the, the, the altar. Now, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, there was a temple that, that the people of God would bring their sacrifice to, and, and there was an altar that was there. It was on the outer parts of the inner layer of the temple, right? And they would offer sacrifices there. And what he's not saying is that there was an altar right now that Jesus is perpetually being sacrificed on. That's not what he's saying, He's not saying there's an altar in heaven whom Jesus is daily cutting himself so that he can atone for your sins. That's not what he's using. He's using a portrait of where did they run to, to to find strength. They used to run to the altar, the temple. He says here though, those who continue to run to that altar, continue to run to this religious form, they actually aren't even invited to the table of Christ. Wow. Wow. Those who serve and continue to serve at the tent of the old covenant. Anyone trying to find their strength to endure through the old covenant, which centers on this temple, is not even welcome at the table of Christ. Wow. Do we see that? I mean, that's what the text is saying, right? He's saying we have an altar from which those who serve at the temple have no right to eat. You can't bring your religious practices, your religious form to God and say, I asked for access now because I read my Bible today. I asked for access now because I showed up on Sunday and I was nice to that really annoying lady at church. Remember, the author has said, Don't be deceived by these strange teachings, look to Christ. Don't think you can fall back into this Old Testament primarily system and think you can find the grace needed to be sustained. The principle we must understand and see, though, is that any form of religion, again, again, this is how you practice your faith in your day-to-day life. But you're seeking to find strength through the practice, not for what the practice points to. That's a big difference right here, right? Right? Do you feel love because you read your scriptures today? Do you feel love because you gave to the church? Do you feel love because you did this? Do you feel like you have the strength to endure because you were nice to your husband or nice to your wife? Do you feel like you have the strength to endure because you did something? Have you ever noticed though that this is the pattern of the Old Testament? It's the pattern of the human heart is that we take the kind of the tools that God uses to bring us closer to him and we begin to worship the tool and not him. I mean, Adam did it with Eve, right? He was given this great helper to come alongside him and he said, scriptures tell us that he listened to the voice of his wife. He said up to God. I think of the book of Numbers where we studied years ago, right? They were being eaten by these fiery serpents and not eaten, but bitten by these fiery serpents and he, he put up a pole with a bronze serpent on it and says, if you look to this, you will, you'll be saved. But what happened when the fiery serpents went away? What did they start worshiping? The bronze serpent. Gideon in the book of Judges, right? Did this glorious thing and he made this ephod to be a testimony that he's kind of judging for the nations and what did they begin to worship? The ephod. This is the propensity of the human heart. We take the tools that God uses to point us to Jesus and we start worshiping the tools. Thinking that's where we find our strength. Thinking that's where I can find the ability to go on. And the author of Hebrews is saying, don't be deceived by false teaching or your own heart that sometimes draws you away. What's interesting is that these tools often make us feel better for a moment but then leave us empty. Let me give you a few examples of what I mean by that. Dads, suppose you're trying to disciple your kids but you're doing so from a very well of godliness that is dry yourself. Right? It feels right. It feels right that you're, you're leading your family. You're, you're teaching them God's word. You're calling them to obey. You read the scriptures with them. You pray with them daily. However, you never mention Jesus. You're always like, don't lie. Be honest. Those are all good things. But if Jesus isn't mentioned, all you're making is legalists. You're not making followers of Christ. And you yourself feel empty, right? You aren't imparting into them Jesus. Yes, the, the law is necessary for us to see Jesus and it's necessary so that we flourish in the world. But the law with no Christ only makes moral people who think they have enough on their own. Dads, point your kids to Jesus. Talk to them about Jesus. Yes, teach them the ways of God, but help them understand you can't do it on your own. You need a savior. You'll never be strong enough on your own. But that's why God sent his son. But for a moment you feel like you're doing a good thing. And so they leave your home and they're just legalists. They're not Jesus' followers. Careful. What about you, woman, who's trying to repent from a long standing physical or emotional sin that is beginning to damage your marriage? And you're simply doing it by the power of self-control. I will stop this. It feels right because you're putting all of your effort into stopping the very thing and righting the wrong. I mean, you're working so hard. And yes, there may be a moment where you feel like it's good, but will you understand this? That if you don't replace your sin with Jesus, then all you're now worshiping is your marriage, not Jesus. You still love something other than Jesus. Now it's not your sin, now it's your marriage. There's nothing wrong with loving your marriage. But if Jesus isn't at the center of your marriage, then it's only going to become another idol. Or man or woman, any of us who overeat through idolizing now workouts. So you you used to overeat, so you you know that's wrong. Gluttony's a sin. And so now what I do is I put all my attention and all my energy into working out and I I use the mirror of my matrix of whether I'm making it or I'm successful. All you've done is exchange one idol for another. Jesus isn't the center of that situation. And this text is saying, where are you finding strength? The mirror? Self-control? The law? There's no strength found there. There's momentary delight, there's maybe this intermixing with like, uh, I feel good for the moment, but there's no strength for endurance, especially when things get hard. So why is Jesus better? Why the whole book of Hebrews has been written, brothers, sisters, friends, beloved. The book of Hebrews has been telling us Jesus is better because he is the substance of the shadow of the Old Testament. Jesus is better because he fulfills everything you cannot. Husbands, you cannot love your wives perfectly. But Jesus loves us perfectly. Rest in him. Love from there. Jesus says, I can be that refuge for those who come to me, not saying, look what I've done, but saying, I need a savior. Is that your heart in this moment? Are you looking for a refuge in the midst of a changing world? Then look to Jesus and nowhere else. But where can we find him? And that's what's interesting about this text. Where can we find him? Look there back with me at verse 11 now. So he's building this argument of of that Jesus is the the only place of strength for our hearts and grace that we need. And he uses this beautiful portrait for us in verses 11 and 12. Look at those with me. He says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sins are burned outside the camp. Now, again, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, let me explain what he's more than likely referring to the Day of Atonement here. If you read the book of Leviticus, there was multiple types of sacrifices. Some of them you would eat, right? There was typically God, I'm sorry, sacrifices and thank you, God, sacrifices. If they were thank you, God, sacrifices, you would actually eat of some of that meat. But for those that were God, I'm sorry, you couldn't eat it. And they would burn some of it and take the blood and put it either in the holy place here. That's why we probably think he's referring to the Day of Atonement. It's the only time they would bring the blood of the sacrifice into the holy places. But what's interesting is they would take the, the kind of leftovers. The, the entrails and the stuff that, that was filthy and unclean and they would take it outside the camp and burn it outside the camp. And what you need to realize when you hear outside the camp, what do you need to think of? Unclean, separated, away from, right? When we were at the book of Numbers, that's what it taught us. It taught us that we, we draw into the center of the camp. Those who are uh, either through leprosy or disease or sins were cast outside the camp. Outside of Jerusalem is where you burned the trash. Where all the refuse would go where you would take this animal this fleshly body that was to be burned outside the camp it says that's where they went but look what verse 12 says it says but jesus where did he suffer outside the city why did he do that tells us in order to sanctify the people through his own blood Wow, the author talks about the day of atonement here, how the flesh was taken outside the camp where the unclean and the filth was. But this is where Jesus suffered. He suffered with the unclean to make us clean. He suffered with the filth so that we might be sanctified and brought near to God. So you don't need to go back to the temple. Jesus didn't go back to the temple. Where did he go? He went outside the camp. So when you're weary from fighting sin, when you feel discouraged, when you think you're a failure, do not run to food, other forms of religious practices. Instead, where do we go? We'll look at verse 13. Excuse me, verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the camp in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him, where? Outside the camp. Ooh, There's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on there. One big thing he said it says don't run back to the temple. You don't need it anymore. Jesus was sacrificed outside the tent or outside the camp. Go to him. He's our atonement. He's our sustaining power. He's everything. I don't need to go back to that religious practice of the temple. Instead, go to him outside the camp. The author is saying that there was a sacrifice that was not eaten on the inside and the leftovers taken. We go outside and we now eat of Christ. We feast on what he's accomplished. The author's reminding us that we go outside. We go outside to Christ. And it says some specific things there. Look where what he says in verse 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. The primary call of following Jesus is to go outside the camp to stop following your religious practices, the things you can do. Now, these things are not bad. You're not going to hear me say, oh, sweet, pastor says I don't have to come to church anymore. I don't have to read my Bible. That's not what we're saying. But don't think that the strength you find to be sustained in life is found in those things. Ever and only Jesus. Jesus is my all in all. Jesus is all things. Give me the strength to follow my, your commands so that, that you would see what? It wasn't me. It was you. We as Christians, we love to see Jesus did that. Jesus did that. We celebrate that Jesus is the one who sustains us. And we go to him outside the camp. And again, look at verse 14. He says, for the reason we can is because we don't have a lasting city. We seek a city that is to come. Again, referring to reminding us of Zion here. Brothers and sisters, The grace is located in the most unlikely of places. It's found in a suffering Savior. Like we want to follow someone who's like got it all together and, and like this big, proud, rules the world. Jesus says, follow me, but I died. Guess what you have to do to follow me? Die to yourself. Pick up your cross. Follow me. See, we don't come to Jesus to have our dreams fulfilled. We don't come to Jesus to make a better way for our kids. We come to Jesus outside the camp and we willingly bear the reproach he says that we should bear. This means as God's people, we do not seek comfort, security. We don't, Jesus, I wanna be comfortable. I wanna be secure, so so I'm gonna go to you. He says, if you're coming to me, you're coming to die. You're coming to share in my reproach, my suffering, which is one of the themes we've been seeing in the book of Hebrews. What this really means is that we begin to look for those in need. We begin to delight to serve as God's people. Which is what he says in these closing verses. So look there with me in verses 15 and 16 and 17. As we see, if Jesus is the great supplier, we live with great joy, charitable works, and with a willful submission. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice. Oh, we hear the word sacrifice again this time. But pay attention. Who's the sacrifice? You're not talking about Jesus this time. Who's the sacrifice? You're a follower of Jesus. You go, I am. I become the sacrifice. Much like Paul says, right? Chapter 12 of the book of Romans, he says, therefore based on all these mercies, let us live a life of living sacrifice. You become the sacrifice, church. And this isn't like, oh man, I'm going to become a sacrifice. This is like, I get to become the sacrifice. I get to follow in his footsteps, going outside the camp, meeting the needs of those around me. What are the things he says? He says really three things that that become the sacrifice of praise to God. And look at there in verse 15, he says, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. See, Hebrews has taught us that there was one atoning work, that is Jesus and it's sufficient for all our needs, not only to save us, but to strengthen us, to do what? To sing his praises. So, did you come here this morning before you sang and you said, God, strengthen me to sing about you? Seems so uniquely different that we pray, God, help me to sing about you but that's what we're doing because the only way our praise is going to be accepted is if it's what? Through him. Do you go to work and you're like, God, help me to work today for you, through you? This is you acknowledging in his name, right? He focuses in on this idea of the the fruit of our lips is acknowledging Jesus. We don't shy away from him. We don't run to other things when life gets tough. When I get a challenging diagnosis at the doctor's office, we as God's people say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes, but blessed be the name of our God. This is what we do. And he he says, I'm gonna strengthen you to do that in that moment. If you depend on me, you don't go through these religious practices, but if you utterly depend on the fullness of Jesus, I'm gonna give you the strength in the doctor's office when they say you have six months left that you can still praise his name. He says, I'm gonna do that for you. When you failed the big test that was your determining factor if your life's trajectory is where you thought it was going to go or not. Only Christ can give you the strength to say, Lord, I failed, but praise God, my salvation is still secure in you because Jesus has done it. And he'll give you the strength You're sincerely longing for that spouse because you feel like it's going to complete you. The grace of To be what you need to be is found in praising Jesus. But not only that, look what he says. The fruit of the lips that acknowledge him, but not only that, verse 16 says, and do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices. Again, this is us. We are the sacrifice in this moment. They're pleasing to God. God's people run to needs. Think about that for a second. We don't sit in our ivory towers like throwing pences out the window saying, oh, there you go, guys. Here's your, here's your daily bread. I'm gonna give it to you and then I'm gonna hide out of my ivory tower. No, God's people, we run to needs. We devote ourselves to good works, as Titus would say. We give to those. We share with those around us. God's people willingly look for for people to minister to. Because this is the sacrifice. God didn't say, well, once you get clean enough, then I'll come to you. No, he says, I'm coming down to you. We likewise go outside the city to the underprivileged, to the needy, and we say, what can we do to help? How can we minister to you? How can we point you to Christ? See, God's people prioritize looking for needs in their community so that they can sacrificially give to meet those needs while speaking of Christ. This one, it pierced me, it convicted me because I'm like, man, do I do what I do so that I find security? Or am I literally saying, God, my life is yours. Everything I have is yours. Where are needs in this community, Moultrie, I can meet for the glory of God? God, you want to sell my house? That I have more resources to give? God, I'll do it. God, you want me to downsize? I'll do it. God, you want me to, to get a bigger house so that I can actually open my home to foster care families? God, I'll do that too. God, whatever you need me to do, I just I, I run to the needs of those around me because this is what the text is saying. If you find strength in the grace of God, the priority of your heart becomes then because you've been so well cared for as you go out to meet the needs of others. So We praise him. We do good works and we share with those around us. But did you notice the last one? This is one of those weird texts. Like, is a preacher preaching about submitting to the preacher? But look at it with me. I mean, it's it's very clear in the Scriptures. Look what it says. We're going to actually spend a lot more time on this next week. But it connects with this section because he started with what? Leaders. Remember those who or before who have now gone. Jesus is the same. And also be willingly obeying. And the word submission is here. He says, submit to them now. Let's look at it really quickly together and then we'll spend a lot more time on it next week as we kind of really dig in. Verse 17, it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. And here's what I want you to see. The call is twofold for, for, for you, the congregation, right? As I obey and submit to Christ, as Pastor David obeys and submit to Christ and any other elder whom the church would God raises up in our church. We, we obey and we submit to. This doesn't mean whatever we say goes. Not what the text is saying. Because remember, the leaders from before, they preach Jesus. And hopefully the leaders you have now are preaching who? Jesus. And they're walking like who? Jesus. And if you have a preacher or a leader in your church who's preaching Jesus and walking as an exemplary faith before you. Your call is to obey and submit to them. But here's the reason why. Look for it. It says, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Those who will give an account. There is no greater privilege I have and to look over God's people as an under shepherd a great shepherd I just plead I plead in this moment that you would constantly be praying for David as the Lord calls his people unto himself as he builds his church the care of God's people grows heavier Sense. What he's connecting is he's connecting, you've got these leaders who do what? They love you and are caring for your soul. They have such desires that you see Christ as his fullness, that you believe in Christ as his fullness, that you taste and you're satisfied with Jesus. And so, so willingly obey to them. And look what he says as he closes. We're going to come back to this text. But let them do so with joy, not with groaning for that actually would be no advantage to you. Again, these leaders should be teaching and modeling Jesus. That's the the overarching flow of this section. And he's speaking about the current leaders and the people of Israel. And again, I'm gonna spend more time next week really digging into each one of these sections. But for now, understand this. We as elders, we get the privilege of caring for your souls. So when I ask you tough questions, it's not because I hate you. I want to shame you. It's because I want to point you to Jesus. When I ask you tough questions, it's not because I want you to feel like you don't muster up to what you need. I want you to see the fullness of Jesus. Together we can, with joy, feast on Jesus. That's what the text is reminding us. That Jesus is everything we need that he's sufficient for all our struggles. But the question is, church, the question is this, what religious practices are you using to find strength instead of Jesus? It's a question you need to ask yourself, right? Because one of the things we believe about God's word is it's not just to be preached at this moment and you to go about doing whatever you want. Right now, what you are being asked to do by God's word is saying, what religious practice are you trying to find strength in instead of Jesus, even if it's meant to point you to Jesus? So what are some of the tools or means of God that you're running to to find strength instead of Jesus himself? And the call of this text is repent and look to Jesus. Invite others into your life. And say, what, what, what do you see in my life that I'm that I'm trusting in for strength and it's not all of Christ? But I'll also we see the text ends with this clear commands. What areas of your life are you lacking praise or service is waning? One of the pieces of evidence of a heart that's been well cared for, that's not malnourished on Christ, is that they love to serve. People satisfied in Christ love to serve. They love to praise. They willingly come under the care of the church. Where in your life are these things lacking? Look to Christ. Remember we talked about last week, right? The sins that we once try to lean into, what do they do? They take a step back, right? Every time we try to lean into sin, they take a step back and never provide. But what do we see Jesus did? He he presses in. And he's just reminding you, don't think your religious practices are going to bring you the strength. But it's also saying, don't throw away all your religious practices. Because then he says what? Do good. Do good. Pursue me. How do we pursue Jesus? By being in his word, being on your knees, being among the body. But God is only and ever satisfied with us because of Jesus. So look, depend on, find strength to make it through every day. We look to Jesus, the founder, perfecter of our faith. Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at calvarybcmoultry.com. We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.